Good morning, MRCC. Let this be a time of entering into worship, a time of surrender. Lord, surround us with your presence, Jesus. We raise our voices to him. It's a victory cry of praise this morning. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Yes. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. Yes, our souls need. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. That's right. I raise a hallelujah. We proclaim truth today. It's heaven comes to fight for me. Yes, I'm gonna sing. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the In the middle of the mystery 
God that we have a God who can. He can break all the strongholds. He is the rock on which we stand. And so let's just praise our God and sing that there's nothing he can't do. Just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. Just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes are open to see, my heart can't help but believe.
something you can't do. We know that you are our confidence. We know that even in a shaky season like the one we're in now, you still reign. You see, church, Jesus teaches us in Matthew 7. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. You see, the world can be in chaos outside these windows, but when we build our house on Jesus, we can have confidence knowing that our foundation is secure. And so today, let us declare this truth with a new song, and as we sing it, let it bless you. And remember, we're not going down, church. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaken. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus, cause he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations, so why would he fail now? He won't, he won't, I've still got joy in chaos, yes, I've got peace that makes no Built on you, that's right. I'm saying. 
to the church your assurance rests in my power I did not bring you to this wilderness I am bringing you through this wilderness and though the journey is long and your heart grows weary yet I will provide for you day by day and you will cross over Jordan by my hand and you will rejoice. You will sing. You will dance. You will rejoice in my faithfulness. For I am the Lord your Savior. I am the Lord your King. And you belong to me. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the blessed assurance of faith. 
We remember how you led Israel through a wilderness much longer than anyone wanted it to be. But you were faithful. The manna was there every day. The water came from the rock. You provided. And then you brought them into the promised land even as you promised to bring us. God, teach us to rest in that blessed assurance, we pray. We thank you for it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Friends, the Bible says that, that God is a living God. He's in our midst. And sometimes he speaks words to us straight from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just have to be the pastor. It could be anybody. And his message to us this morning is that this wilderness is something we're going through. Somebody say amen. And we are coming out the other side. Take a moment, greet the person next to you, make them feel welcome. Would you do that? Say hello to somebody. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Welcome to Second Service here at MRCC. Welcome to sunshine and dry ground. Somebody say amen. Wow, that was crazy this week. And I have to ask you to feel sorry for me this morning, if, if you can find that in your heart. My wife's been gone for two weeks. I've used all the dishes. There's no more towels. Uh, all, all of the frozen TV dinners are gone. I, I've reached the end of my world. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, actually. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going through that journey with my wife being gone. I don't know if you know this, but men, husbands in particular, are big weenies when their wives are gone. And uh, that's been my challenge. Uh, gang, I, I, I have a few things to share with you this morning by way of announcements. If you can be patient for a couple of minutes, and then I really need to ask you to join with me in prayer. We have a, a very specific uh, need this morning. And, and so let me, let me share a few of these things. First of all, uh, next Sunday, now they told me that this was doing that in first service because I didn't have a loop back here. So let's see if I fixed it. Did I fix that, Shane? Yep, I think I did. Um, next Sunday, uh, the 16th, is the kickoff for our spring home group season. So if you would like to be part of a home group, a small group, a grow group, 
Um, you can sign up at the guest center, contact the church office, scan that little code on the chair in front of you with your phone, get in touch with us however you like, and, and we'd like to help you get hooked up with a home group, with a small group. Uh, my group that I have on Thursday morning is incredibly important to me, and, and God has a blessing for you in that. Brent Smith is our small group uh, director. He's sick this morning, but if you uh, will get in touch with us, he will get in touch with you and help you find a small group to be a part of. It's a great thing to do life together in Christ, pray for each other, become friends together. So the small group session, the next one starts next Sunday, the 16th. And let us know if you want to get hooked up. You're invited to do that as well. Uh, next weekend is our, our, our winter youth camp. The teenagers are going to be headed out of town for a couple of days. God uses youth camps in powerful and profound ways. And so I want to invite you to be praying for youth camp next week. Pastor Josh and his team taking about 60 kids up over the pass. We believe by faith the pass will be open by then. And, um, and they're going to have a terrific time. And if, if your teenager, your middle school or your high school uh, ha- hasn't signed up yet and you want to, we can include you. Just get in touch with us this week. If the cost is a challenge, we are a church family and we will help make sure that your teenager gets to go to camp. So just let Josh know. Just say, hey man, the cost is a little bit of a challenge and and we'll come alongside you and make sure that your teenager gets to go so that's next weekend be aware of that Um, as well next weekend can I ask for your help for a couple of hours Uh, it's time to take down the Christmas lights and put them back away uh, for next year and so we do this on on a Saturday morning we're going to do it next Saturday morning if you can come down about nine o'clock bring a ladder if you have one your gloves and sweatshirt and and we just get things cleaned up and put away Uh, we'll take care of lunch have some snacks, coffee, and stuff for you. Uh, Bring the kids as well. They can be part of that. Um, Last year, we put away every light on this campus in less than two hours, which was amazing. Uh, It's because we know what we're doing. We just need many hands to make the work light. So if you'd come out for a couple of hours uh, next Saturday, that would be terrific. We'll meet here at 9 and take down the lights. One more thing, and that is that... um, Uh, On the 23rd, that Sunday, so two weeks from today, we will be uh, baptizing folks in water who who want to be baptized. You can sign up and be baptized. If you've received Jesus as your Savior, but you have never publicly confessed your faith, that's what baptism is. Jesus says, I want you to publicly confess that you belong to me. And so you're invited to be a part of that. You can sign up, get on the schedule. We'll be baptizing in all three services. Uh, You can be a part of that. Um, Folks often ask, what about my kids? What's the right age for my kids? Well, first of all, we really on you as a parent to, to, to make the discernment about whether your child understands what they're doing. Uh, and if you need some help with that, just give Pastor Allison a call. She'll sit down with you and your child and make sure. We want to make sure kids understand what they're doing uh, when they're baptized. So that can happen at different ages for different kids. Uh, so if you're thinking about that, you, maybe you want to sit down with your son or daughter and have a talk about whether they're, they're ready for baptism. As I said, Pastor Allison can help with that. So take note of that. Um, and then, uh, so I think I got everything except for the last thing. Here's the thing that I want to ask you to pray with me about. This is our, our missions team that has been in Uganda for the last two weeks. Uh, you'll see my wife's part of that team, Brent, who plays keyboards, Larry, who's one of our deacons. Uh, they've been in Uganda for the last two weeks and serving at the orphanage and the school there. And they were scheduled this morning to drive to Entebbe to the airport and fly home. Uh, as you know, with air travel these days, 
you have to get a certain kind of a test before you're allowed to get on an airplane. And last night, three of our four missions team members came up COVID positive. And so they can't get on a plane. And so they're going to be stuck in Uganda for at least another week to get through the quarantine and get a, a clean test so they can get on a plane. So I want to ask you just to be in prayer for them. Now, um, you know, they're tired, they're homesick, they want to come home. But, you know, I told my wife, I said, hey, if six months ago I offered you a week in a hotel in Africa, you might have taken it. And, uh, and so, you know, they're, they're kind of stuck in the hotel grounds for the next week, and that's nobody's idea of fun. But would you be in prayer for them? Uh, several have said, are they sick? Well, one of the team members has been kind of sick. The other two who are positive have not really been very sick at all. So, uh, you know, we want to pray for them to recover from sickness. But, but even more importantly, you know, they want to get on a plane and come home. So uh, I want to ask you now if you would join your prayers with me. And also, gang, would you, would you join with me in praying for so many in our community that have been wrestling with sickness? You know, whether it's COVID or whether it's a cold or pneumonia, boy, it's just been going around the last few weeks and actually two weeks ago two of our staff members were in the hospital and one of our deacons was in the hospital among others uh, they're all home and doing much better now but God says that our prayers matter if you're a follower of Jesus God calls you a priest in this world and that means that you're meant to intercede on behalf of others and that your prayers are heard they matter we are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace. And God says sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. And so I want to invite you to bow your heads with me right now and let's pray together for our missions team and for so many who are sick. Lord, we thank you that when we pause like this, when we stop and turn to you in this moment, that you hear us. We think of that temple veil that you tore in two to show us that we were welcome to come right to your throne and bring our needs. And we come to you this morning, God, praying for so many who have been sick, so many kids, so many parents, so many grandparents. God, we pray for healing in all those homes. Lord, even many who are home today because they're wrestling with sickness or because they're, they're contagious with COVID. God, we pray your powerful and mighty healing on all of them. We lift them up to you because you said we could. And we ask that you touch their bodies and their hearts, their spirits as well. Lift their spirits. When we wrestle with sickness, sometimes it can wear us down on the inside. God, we pray, touch them. And we, we bring the missions team to you this morning, Lord, and, and, and they're weary. They've been working hard for the last two weeks and then ready to come home and to find out that there's this obstacle still ahead of them. We pray that you wash away the virus, heal them of it, give them clean tests so they can get on airplanes and come home. We ask for that. We lift them up to you. We thank you for their fruitfulness in these last two weeks. And, and God, we know that you work all things together for the good of those who love you. So you're going to use this next week as they're even isolated in that hotel to make them fruitful. We thank you for that. Speak to each heart and bring them home to us. We lift them up to you together and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Appreciate it if you would uh, continue to pray for them and, and for those uh, who are sick. We're going to start a new journey this morning, friends. Uh, it's going to be a big one. It's going to be a long one. I'm calling it Deep Dive because what we're going to do is we're going to jump deep into the scriptures like mature believers do for a long season. We're going to walk all the way through Romans together. That's 16 chapters of God's Word. It's going to take us right through the spring. 
And the reason we're doing that is because as we grow up in God, it is his plan that we come to the point where we receive his word on its own terms. That we don't say, God, I need a verse on Tuesday because I'm doing whatever. That we grow to more than that. That we grow to the point where we say, God, I want you to talk to me deep. Maybe about things I don't know I need to be talked about. God, I want you to speak into my life through your word. And I'm going to give you my attention enough that I can hear you. That's what, that's what this journey is going to be like. So we're going to be in Romans starting with chapter 1 this morning if you want to turn there. And, and by the way, I, I neglected to mention we had a, a missions lunch pract, uh, planned for next Sunday afternoon. Uh, and we were going to hear from the missions team and others about their trip because they were supposed to be coming back uh, this weekend. But that, that missions lunch is postponed. We'll get back with you when the team's back uh, and we can have that lunch. So if you're planning to be a part of that next week, we'll let you know when that's uh, rescheduled. So Romans chapter 1. And let me begin, gang, by asking you a question. If you could change one thing, if you could change something about yourself, what would it be? I mean, we all think about that from time to time. Sometimes we talk about it with each other. I wish I could change this about me. I wish I was more that. Some of us want to be taller. Some of us want to be shorter. Some of us want to be thinner. Some of us want to be smarter. I want to ask for a show of hands on that one. Some of us want to be better looking, more confident, whatever it is. If you could change something about yourself, what would it be? You know, sometimes when I think about that question in my own life, I've been trying for some years now to to figure out, to learn how to be more romantic for my wife. It's just not something I'm great at, uh, and I want to be better at it, and I'm trying to learn different ways to do that. You say, Pastor Greg, you've been married 40 years. Why do you need to be romantic? Oh, man, that's the wrong question. I want to learn how to do that better and better. I'm more like Marlena from Ohio's husband who fails when he tries to be romantic. She tells about her husband, and and he tries hard, but he doesn't always get it right, especially when it comes to romance. She tells about how they were at a wedding one time, and and he was getting a little misty-eyed about what was happening. And so he leaned over and whispered in her ear, Honey, you're more beautiful to me than half the women in this room. <laughs> it's kind of how I roll, you know what I mean? I, I have this great moment planned, and I don't always pull it out. What, if you could change something about yourself, what would it be? What would you change about yourself? Most people want to change the way they're seen. Probably when I asked that question, you thought about some, something related to the way you're seen, how other people see you. But what I want to say to you this morning, what God wants to say to you, is that what will truly satisfy you is when you have not the way you're seen changed, but the way you see changed. Perhaps what we need more than anything else is not to be seen differently, but to see differently. People ask me as a pastor many times over the years, they'll say, Pastor Greg, can I just, what will I look like in heaven? (laughs) You know, uh, the Bible tells us we recognize each other, but man, I'm not sure I want to look like this. What What will we look like in heaven? And Sometimes somebody will say, will will we be old in heaven? Will we be young in heaven? And 
You know, I, I don't have the answer to that question. I do know this, that when I see my grandfather in heaven, I don't want him to be 16. <laughs> I want him to be 60. And I think when my son sees me in heaven, you know, he doesn't want me to be a teenager. He wants me to be dad. And there is something profoundly powerful about how we see that has the potential to satisfy us more than how we're seen. C.S. Lewis writes profoundly about this, and he says that the, the transformation of your soul in the way you see God, yourself, and others, that transformation is the only thing that can really satisfy you. Now, I lay that on us this morning because there's a theme verse for our journey through Romans together. And it's found in chapter 12, verse 2. Listen to what the Bible says. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. God says, hey, you're my sons and daughters. I want you to be like everybody else. I don't want you to seek to just fit in, to blend in, to be the same as everybody else. I don't want you to conform to the pattern of this world. He says, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, hang on for just a second. That word transformed, in the Greek it's the word metamorpho, from which we get the English word metamorphosis. And so the transformation that God is talking about is a big deal. It's kind of like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. It's that dramatic. It's that all-encompassing. And God says, what I want for you, Greg, what I want for you, my son, my daughter, is that you would be transformed in a way that will satisfy your soul. And that happens by the renewing of your mind. Wow. You know, there are frequent times in our lives when our minds are renewed. We learn something that changes everything. I remember a few years ago when I got a real bad pneumonia at Christmas time and I was running 104 temperature and boy, I was just freezing. I thought what I needed was more blankets, more sweats, uh, turn the heat up in the bedroom. And, and Rhonda knew better than that. She said, honey, what you need is an ice bath. <laughs> I said, I do not need an ice bath, woman. Get behind me, Satan. That is not what I need in this moment. But, you know, she was right. She was right. And, and the most amazing thing happened when I, when I took the ice bath, I warmed up. My mind had to be changed about hot and cold. In the same way, God wants to transform our minds when it comes to being seen or seeing. And Romans is about that. Now, let me give you a little bit of background here. The letter to the Romans is unique in your Bible because it is the only letter written to a church that the Apostle Paul never visited. When we read Philippians or Ephesians or Colossians or Thessalonians, we are reading Paul writing to congregations that he had spent years with, that he had taught firsthand. And so often he will say things like, remember when I taught you this, remember I taught you that, remember I taught you the other thing. But when he writes to the Romans, he's writing to a church he was never able to physically visit. And so in Romans, we have all the things he taught at those other churches laid out A to Z. That's what makes Romans a uniquely revealing book for us as growing believers. And Romans is written because Paul knows what real transforming power is. 
We're, we're going to read verses 1 to 17 this morning, about the next 15, 20 minutes. And, and look at how he crescendos in verse 16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Catch this, friends. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Circle that word it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Often we think that the power of God is something independent of the truth of the gospel. We think there's truth and then there's power. But God says, no, the gospel truth is the power. That's why in chapter 12, verse 2, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says the gospel has that power. As it changes our thinking about who God is, about who we are in God, about who our fellow human beings are, as our minds are renewed about those things, we are transformed. We experience the power of God. You know, one of my favorite sayings is this, the most powerful influence in your life, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, the most powerful influence in your life is whatever you believe about God, whatever you think you know about God and about your relationship and your place in, in, in the universe. In Romans, Paul's going to lay out the gospel that renews the mind and transforms us by revealing that powerful truth. You know, sometimes we get confused about truth and power. As I said a moment ago, we think one is one thing is the other is another. But, but Jesus was pointed about this. The scripture tells us in Matthew 12 that some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Show us some power. Show us some miraculous power. Jesus answered and said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. In other words, the sign is not the end in itself. The power lies in the truth that I've come to bring you. The signs are real, but they point to the truth. Paul wrote about this as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, who are being transformed, it is the power of God. Jews demand miraculous signs, Greeks look for, look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, gang, the power lies in this gospel message. And when we receive it, when we believe it, that is how we are transformed. That is how we become what our souls thirst to become. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we're going to walk through Romans, right through the spring. And we're going to hear this gospel laid out A to Z because it is in the renewing of our mind that we are changed. And, and the reality is a lot of us need to have that happen in order for the transformation that we hunger for to happen. Now, I remember about 12 years ago when I was diagnosed with MS, I thought I understood how to deal with it. I said to myself, all right, you know, the cure to everything is working out more and running more. I can conquer this by exercise. And so I set out to do just that. Well, it only took a few months to learn that that didn't work. I went to my specialist MS doc, and he said, no, Greg, that won't work. He said, you're going to have to change your thinking, but there is a way that does. If you'll listen to me, if you'll let your thinking be changed, and now all these years later, I'm still upright and going because he changed my mind about it. God wants to do that for us through the gospel. So let's listen to God's word. Let's begin this morning. We're just going to get started and then we'll move together all throughout the spring. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, that's an important word, and set apart for the gospel of God, this powerful truth. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, but who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship, there's that word again, to call people from among the Gentiles to catch this phrase, to the obedience that comes from faith. In just a moment, I'm going to explain what that means. But first, let's notice a couple of things. First of all, Paul calls himself an apostle. Very few people bear that title. Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 6, Jesus went up, prayed all night, chose 12 of his disciples, and designated them apostles. The word means that he gave them unique authority. Today we would, we would give one another power of attorney, which means we give somebody the authority to act in our name and our behalf. Jesus gave that specific power to the 12 apostles. Now, Acts tells us in chapter 9 that he gave that same power to Paul. And after the fall of Judas, the disciples through the Holy Spirit added two others. These are the apostles, and they carry an authority that's important for us to understand, friends. I, as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, I don't get to say what I think. I don't get to teach whatever pops into my pointy little head. What I do is I come under the authority of the apostles and prophets. I listen to the scriptures and then pass them on and teach them. And any good spiritual leader will do that. Beware of seeking someone who offers their own authority instead of the authority of the scriptures, instead of the apostles and the prophets. That's a way to, to, to go sideways in a big way. And, and this is happening a lot in our time. Lots of people are turning to charismatic personalities or worse, people who just tell them what they want to hear. Paul wrote to the young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and said this. He said, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, catch this, to suit their own desires, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what they want to hear. <laughs> Can I just warn you against that? Please don't make it your agenda to find a, a spiritual leader, a teacher, a church, a pastor who will tell you what you want to hear. Instead, find one who will preach to you the scriptures even when it's what you don't want to hear. You know, one of the, one of the things I really had to learn about my calling as a young man, I want everybody to like me, but I learned very early on that that's not what Jesus has called me to. He's called me to tell the truth sometimes when it hurts. Sometimes when it's not popular, when it's not welcome. That's what I'm responsible to you for. Your responsibility is to make sure you don't just look for somebody to tell you what you want to hear. There are a lot of populist spiritual leaders who just play to the crowd. Watch out. Watch out. That's the road to disaster. Paul says he's an apostle, we're under his authority. And then he goes on and he, he says, I've been called to the gospel that was promised beforehand through the prophets and the scriptures. I don't have time to get into this this morning, we will as we go through the series, but understand that this gospel is rooted in the history of Israel that comes to us through the Old Testament. Very often, 
we kind of shy away from the Old Testament. I don't want to go in there, man. It's crazy. It's weird. I don't understand. But it's in there that we find the context that enables us to understand Jesus completely. He comes out of that context. In fact, that's why you have the book of Hebrews in your Bible. It's telling Christians how to understand the Old Testament as it relates to Jesus. And so don't, don't, don't say to yourself, you know what, I want to stay out of that part of the Bible. Instead, as you continue to grow, say, okay, I want to learn that. I want to begin to understand that story of how Jesus comes to me in the Old Testament. Don't really have time to get into that this morning. We will later. And then in verses 3 and 4, he says, this gospel is about the Son of God. Gang, let's understand that the gospel is about this man, Jesus not a generic God, not just any religious reality. It's about this man, Jesus. Listen to what the Bible says. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. Just one. And, and, and Jesus himself put it this way. In chapter 14, verse 6 of John's gospel, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter at Pentecost stood up in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and he preached that first sermon of the church, and he said, there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we may be saved but the name of Jesus. The gospel's about this man. Now, that doesn't mean that everything in every other religious tradition is false, but it does mean that everything in any religious tradition is tested by this man. And when this man approves it or teaches it or reveals it, then we have the answer. We have the reality. We have the truth. I am the truth, he said. No man comes to the Father but by me, but all can come to the Father in me. The gospel regards is with regard to Jesus. Now, don't get hung up when it says he was declared with power by the spirit of holiness to be the son of God. Don't misunderstand that that means somehow Jesus was just an average guy and one day Jesus picked him like Neo in the Matrix and said, you're the one. That's not the idea here, okay? The idea is that he was declared means to be publicly revealed. He was always the son of God, but then he was proved publicly declared to be the son of God through the resurrection. Think of a prince who was always going to be king and then one day there's a coronation. Now everybody knows. That's the idea. Jesus was declared with power to be the son of God. And then Paul says, I love this. This is, we're into the middle here. Paul says, through him and for him, verse five, we received grace and apostleship to call all people from among the Gentiles. Catch this, friends to the obedience that comes from faith. That's a very specific kind of obedience. There's different kinds of obedience. There's obedience that comes from duty. When, when my wife gets home from Uganda, whenever that happens, when she walks into the house, all the laundry will be done, all the dishes will be cleaned, the kitchen, the bathrooms, everything will be vacuumed, the dog will be alive, everything will be taken care of. But that's an obedience from fear. That's not the same as, as the obedience from faith, right? Right? The obedience that comes from faith is different. What does the apostle mean when he talks about the obedience that comes from faith? Well, see, here's a challenge that every growing Christian will encounter, and that is how do I obey when there's no commandment? For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25, the Corinthian believers wrote to Paul, and they said, how do we know who we should marry? How do we know which, now in the context of that time, how do I know which virgin I should marry? The men made the choices. Virgin was a young unmarried woman. How do I know which one? 
Paul, when he writes back to them, says something unexpected. Verse 25 of chapter 7, he says, about virgins, about which one you pick, I have no command from the Lord. But I'll give you a judgment as one who's worthy and knows some things, and he gives some counsel about it. In other words, there's no commandment about this. You pick. Do so wisely. And, and friends, sooner or later, we all bump up against how do we obey when we haven't been given a specific commandment? Well, that's where the obedience that comes from faith comes in. You see, there's a choosing that we enter into when we choose to serve God as a gift to him, as an expression of our devotion to him, as an expression of our love for him, where we make choices to do things we haven't necessarily been commanded to do. The commandments are there, and they're part of the program, but, but there's this obedience that comes from faith. Now, let me illustrate it for you. Over in Mark chapter 14, there's a marvelous story about this woman who had an alabaster jar of perfume worth a year's wages. Think about that. What do you make in a year? That's how much this jar of perfume costs. And the scripture says that she came to Jesus and she knelt at his feet and she poured that perfume out on his feet. In devotion, as an expression of her regard for him, her love for him. Now the crowd that saw it, they didn't react well. Scripture tells us that a bunch of people said, what a waste. She could have sold that money and given it to the poor. It would have been better. And Jesus said, no, it wouldn't. In fact, he said, this is so beautiful that wherever this gospel is preached for the rest of time, this story will be told. She will be remembered. Why? Because what Jesus was delighting in was her choice to give him a gift. That's the obedience that comes from faith. This choice to, to honor him, to serve him, to love him, or to love anyone in his name. That's the obedience that comes from faith. And the gospel is about that. Oh, sure, it's about the rules and the, the, the stuff we're to avoid. There is an obedience that comes from duty, but that is the lesser thing, and the gospel wants to call us to that, yes, but then beyond it, to the obedience that comes from faith. Gang, God sees you when you choose to give him your unique devotion. Your unique gift, your unique love, whatever form it takes. You know, prior to that moment, nobody would have guessed that pouring a, an expensive jar of perfume on Jesus' feet would delight him so much. But we know that now. And God wants you to know that the obedience that comes from faith delights him most. Now, we're going to turn into the home stretch here. Look at verses 6 and 7. And Paul goes on to say, And you also are among those who are called to belong. Hmm. Circle that phrase. You also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. That is called to collectively together be the church, the body of Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we're reminded that we are not solo acts. We're part of a band. The Christian faith is a band. We're meant to play together. We must understand this or we'll forever be trapped by the idea that it's just about us. Paul goes on to, to, to express how he lives that out. Look at the following verses, verses 8 through 12. He, he celebrates the church's success more than his own. Verse 8, he says, I thank my God through Jesus for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. 
In other words, I'm filled with gratitude because you're doing so well. Verses 9 to 10, he's constantly remembering them. He says, God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. His prayer life is devoted to the fellowship of believers. And he goes on in verses 11 and 12 to say he is constantly praying for the chance to serve and build the church. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. See, he has this profound idea of of, of our call to belong to one another. It's trendy in this day and age to say, you know what, I don't need a church to follow Jesus. Baloney. In Jesus' day, if you wanted to follow him, you couldn't say, I want to opt out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Crazy Mary, Undead Lazarus. I don't want to hang with those folks. I just want to follow Jesus. You can't. To follow him involves you with him. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. That's why John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, if you say you love God, but don't dig your brother, you're a liar. We are called to belong. Whatever tradition, whatever church you call home, there's a million flavors. But we are all called to belong. And it's when we understand that, as we're going to see in a moment, that that transforming, renewing of the mind begins to happen. You know, in in 1986, a rookie basketball player named Michael Jordan, (laughs) maybe the greatest of all time, scored 63 points in a playoff game. Wow. Wow and lost because he was so convinced that his own abilities were enough and they weren't. In 2007, another NBA player by the name of LeBron James in that playoff season accounted for a higher percentage of all of his team statistics, points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, you name it. He accounted for a higher percentage of all those statistics than any player in history ever did. And his team was swept four to nothing and blown out of the playoffs. And in both of those experiences, both of them learned that you can't win without a team. That it's all about being part of the whole. Both of them went on to the greatest of their greatness when they learned to be part of a team. It's the same with us in our faith. We are called to belong. Okay, here's where we close. In verses 16 and 17, Paul expresses this transformingly powerful gospel for the first time, and then he's going to explain it. He's going to lay it out. Listen to what he says, verse 16 and 17. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You say, why would somebody be ashamed? Hang on, I'll talk about it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because, here's the statement again, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, not meaning one's more important, just how it happened historically first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. For in the gospel, a righteousness, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as is written, quoting Hosea, the righteous will live by faith. Okay, let's understand this. The word righteousness, it means intimacy with someone. It means friendship. It means closeness of relationship. Whoever your best friend is, the biblical word for your friendship is righteousness. You trust each other. You love each other. You share with each other. You have a commitment to each other in your hearts. That's righteousness. Now, the gospel is a righteousness with God that comes, catch this friends, from God. It doesn't come from me. 
or you. It doesn't come from us measuring up or achieving some level of, of, of goodness. It doesn't come from us a conquering any kind of spiritual mountain. It comes from God. He gives it. That's the, the revolutionary reality of the gospel. A righteousness from God that comes by faith from first time. Just by believing. You know, here's the reality. Most people think, ah, oh, yeah, believing is how I become a Christian. And then I get into all the fine print and all the things I have to do in order to stay one. Wrong. That's not the gospel. And the power, the transforming of the power, transforming power of the gospel does not lie in the fine print that you live up to. It lies in the believing. It is by faith from first to last. Ask Abraham about that. Abraham's faith was never larger than a mustard seed, but it resulted in him at the age of 99 becoming a mom, or a dad, not a mom, hey, <laughs> becoming a dad, and Sarah becoming a mom. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Grasp this, friends. When you believe, it's like submitting to surgery. You know what happens when you have surgery? You say, you know what? I'm going to trust this doctor and this nurse to do their thing. And you go in and they knock you out and you just basically lay there. And you come out better most of the time, right? You come out better. Most the surgery happens just because you believed enough to lay there. So it is with this gospel. And gang, let me, we're almost done. Let me say this to you. It is when you believe that, when your mind is renewed to believe that, that the power begins to happen. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind as we believe this powerful gospel that we're going to explore the rest of the spring, but which is captured in that one line, a righteousness from God that is by faith from first to last. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, I wish I could get my act together. God says you don't have to before you come to me. You simply believe. And I meet you in your believing. My power comes into you through your believing. That's why it is such a profound thing when any human being in any moment bows their head and says, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I believe in you. God, I believe in your Son. That is, that is a nuclear explosion in the world of the Spirit. Everything begins to change. All power is released in that moment. You know, uh, a few years ago, a couple stories and we're done. A few years ago, we were, my family and I, we were coming back from Canada. We had gone up there for New Year's. We went up to see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I know now you all think less of me because, you know, hey, I grew up in a trailer park. That's what we do. So we had gone up to see the concert, right? And, and we were coming back. And, and while we were up there, I got sick. And uh, boy, I was just had a raging fever. So I'm, I'm sitting in the passenger side and, and I'm you know, trying to stay warm and I'm just, I feel rotten. And Rhonda's driving. It's late at night. It's like one in the morning. We come to the border. Isaiah's in the back seat. We go through the border crossing up there and suddenly our car is stopped. There's a spotlight shining on it and we're surrounded by a dozen guys with automatic weapons and armor. And they're pointing their weapons at us. Put your hands where we can see them. Move slowly. Step out of the car, right? And my wife and my sister, ah, 
Guys, I have to tell you, I was so sick, I couldn't care less. When they said that to me, I was like, are you kidding? And I rolled over and I looked right at the guy who was pointing the weapon at me. And I said, oh, honey, they've screwed up. They got the wrong people. They'll figure it out in a moment. Just do what they say. (laughs) He wasn't my friend after I said that, okay? But we got out of the car and they had us stand there and put our hands on the car and they frisked us. Oh, you know, Ron and Isaiah, but I'm so sick I don't care. I'm like, they'll figure it out. Just relax. You know, eventually. Then they walked us into this holding cell and had us sit down. And the leader guy came in there, whoever rank he was. He came in and he starts asking us all these questions. And I just looked at him and said, dude, you guys have screwed up. You made a mistake. You got the wrong car and the wrong people. You'll figure it out. We'll wait till you do. (laughs) Keep in mind, I wasn't being bold and brave. I was sick, all right? And I just didn't care. So the guy goes out and we ended up sitting in that holding cell for about a half hour. And then in one of the most wonderful moments of my life, that same guy came back in and said, we made a mistake. We got the wrong car. We're sorry. You can go. Here's why I tell you the story. God wants you to have that kind of confidence about your relationship with him. Unafraid. Because you believe. Because you know the gospel is a righteousness from God. By faith from first to last. So that all your fears wash away. All your fears are just not there because you know the gospel. Now, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let me finish with a story and we'll pray. In 1999, at the age of 45, Michael May underwent a radical new eye transplant surgery. It had never been done before at that time. He was born blind. He'd been blind his whole life. And the belief was that someone with his condition, his defects of actual organs, uh, meant that he just would never have a chance of seeing. But this radical transplant surgery, he was the first patient to experience it. After the surgery, the neurological details of his ocular system were restored. And when he came out of the surgery, he could see. But here's the problem. He didn't know what he was looking at. (laughs) You see, the reality about seeing, gang, is it's not just a sensory thing. It's not just you look and, and, you know, uh, your, your eyes do something like when you smell or you hear. No, your brain is involved in seeing. Your brain recognizes what you're looking at. When you were a child, you grew up and you, your brain learned to recognize what you were seeing. Well, Michael had never had that. So even though he could see, he couldn't recognize colors. He didn't know how to read a human face. You know, there were, there were so many things he didn't understand. He couldn't measure distance or height or depth. All of those things, it took him months to learn to do. But here's the thing. He began to learn the moment the surgery happened in the same way. Once we believe the gospel, the transformation begins. And as we are renewed in our minds, as we learn that gospel, A to Z, bottom to top, we gain the ability to see. And that, in the end, is what satisfies. When you see God as He is, when you see yourself in God as you are, And when you see your fellow human being the way God does, that transformation is available to you and me and everyone in the powerful gospel. Would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes. 
Maybe you've never received Jesus as your Savior. You can in this moment. You can say, Lord, I know you're tugging at my heart. I believe in you today. I put my faith in you, Jesus. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my teacher. In the moment that you say that, the power of the gospel goes to work in you. And that can happen right here and right now. He's listening to your heart. You can just tell him, God, I believe. I choose to believe to receive your son. Maybe you did that a long time ago, but you've never allowed your mind to be renewed by learning the gospel. God invites you on that journey this spring. He invites you to say to yourself, you know what, more than ever before, I'm going to settle down and I'm going to learn this gospel this spring because it is what transforms us. God, we thank you for your word. Send us from here today unafraid. You are leading us through the wilderness and your power transforms us as our minds are renewed. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? And if you notice that I'm hurrying a little bit, it's because I went a little long in second service. You guys know this drill. So now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love them, and hurry out of the parking lot in Jesus' name. Love you.